So far away, Lucas, the 112th episode of uh, the, the podcast. It is indeed, yeah. We've we've come a very, very long way, and it's a, it's a week of anniversaries this week, because just a few days ago was the fifth anniversary of the Fact Fiend channel being founded. Bloody hell. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, you know, it's a good amount of time for, like, an online channel and stuff. It's not bad. It's just that thing of, though, like, we couldn't celebrate it because we were too busy doing the launch of the side channel. Mm-hmm. Um, which if people don't know like the side channel we're doing um, uh, for all extra content and basically we'd work behind the scenes for like three, four months I think in total trying to figure out the ideas and then a month and a half two months working on the channel itself mm-hmm. so we were all and we wanted to launch it on the 1st of April because it just seemed quite fitting with the channel and I think it's the day <laughs> of Brad just happens to mention you know the five year anniversary of the channel's in like four days right like for fuck's sake <laughs> we should have done it then that would have been so much more thematically appropriate it would have done yeah it would have but, been uh, yeah. more better yeah the third year anniversary in like episode one hundred and twelve, and I guess that's a good way for me to to say like we, I'm just gonna throw a bit of housekeeping in because we have so many things now and yeah uh, we have launched untitled side channel on YouTube go check it yes. out it's just where you know me and yourself plus uh, Brad and Nisha are all making like content together and by ourselves and just to side channel to fight fiend and just all of us getting to to spread our wings creatively a little bit. Mm-hmm. What else? Uh, this is the thing. Because one of the things I noticed about like, Joe, the five year anniversary is the amount of things that I've done and not realized how. No, I'm trying to fight. I don't want to sound big headed when I talk about it. But it's just like how impressive they are from a relative standpoint. But I've not realized because the build up was so slow. Exactly. Yeah. And like, you know, just you constantly like when I looked at the amount of videos we've released, like, oh, we've done like 900 videos. Mm-hmm. Like 900 videos between. I think we're coming people. up to 1,000. Almost, yeah, I think we're like 30, 40 off doing a thousand videos, so like nearly a thousand videos. It's probably close to a thousand if you take away all the ones that were copyright, copyright struck that we took down. Mm-hmm. Then I looked at the website and went, oh, it's like 1,200 articles I've written on the website. And then I checked, <laughs> like, the first article for the Fact Theme website was uploaded in like 2013. Oh my God, so nearly and 10 be- years. And then when I was doing like a uh, anniversary, like not anniversary, but I record a little video talking about the origins of a channel and I talked about mm. like, my writing career. And I was looking at like, some of the articles on there go all the way back to like 2010. So I'm like, I've been doing this for over 10 years, which is one of those things I've been doing it for so long, I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. It just, just builds up at, over time, doesn't it? Yeah, and just you just never realize because it becomes something you do every day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what are the other housekeeping things we have to do? Well, yeah, just uh, want to mention that we have a Patreon to support mm-hmm. the Untitled Side channel as well, and it it just helps us continue to, you know, make things like the podcast. Uh, it makes us just a lot of extra money to just not have to worry about, like, finances as, like, you know, the coffers of big wangers are not uh, filling up quite as quickly anymore with the fat fee numbers. Uh, and yes. Basically, just it helps us just have some extra time and money to make new content, to to just have a bit of fun with stuff, and, yeah, to just all keep being able to do what we do, I guess. So you can help us out at patreon.com slash untitled side channel if you can. Uh, link is in the description below, but if not, all of the videos are free on youtube anyway so you can just go and watch go and enjoy the content yeah because if the numbers going up is also a good thing like exactly yeah you can you can support and- us in more ways than just paying on patreon like just going and watching and liking and commenting it always helps and stuff and i guess if we're shilling stuff then are you putting links below uh links are below for stuff yes all right so we better put in there then the fact fiend tiktok because my girlfriend runs that and she'll be mad if we don't mention it there we go so right. fact fiend itself has a tiktok go check yeah. it out for like yeah. extra fun little Ex- tidbits yeah, exclusive content on there as well. There's also like the the Fact Fiend Instagram, 
uh, which my girlfriend also runs. She probably mentioned that one as well. <laughs> there we go then. <laughs> you tell that she came in. You can tell she's a bit younger than me. She actually knows what TikTok is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she was like, Carl, you should have a TikTok. I'm like, fuck TikTok. And then she started the TikTok. So you know what? If you could run it and it makes any money, fuck it. I don't know. And then mm-hmm. like, I think after like a week of running it, she went, oh, we've got like one video with 100,000 views. And I'm like, oh, I guess TikTok's where it's at then. It, it really is, yeah. <laughs> On some it days, is. the TikTok gets more views than the YouTube channel, but because TikTok doesn't really pay you that much, TikTok comes from like having influence and then parlaying that into um, uh, brands and sponsorships and stuff, which obviously mm-hmm. I don't do. So uh, there are days where the TikTok will get more views than the YouTube channel, but because the YouTube channel has a more traditional pay structure, traditional mm-hmm. in the sense, like, sorry, it's the internet, but it's traditional in the sense of I just you get views, you get money. Whereas TikTok's more like you get views, you get influence that you trade for other stuff. So going back to the days of like bartering, it feels like online. <laughs> like you don't just get paid for doing something anymore. It's mm. like, okay, you've got this many millions of views or what have you. It's all you about can trade that. Using that for like sponsorships or free products or to push those viewers into other um, places like YouTube and Twitch and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'd might as well plug that as well. Um, but yeah, and then just final note, like if you want to ask questions to us for our oh, yeah, we've got Q&A this as well, episodes. We? we got uh, this as well, bloody hell. We do, yeah. This just... is what I mean, the amount of things that we don't realise. It's like, oh yeah, of course we run like six different... We've got um, so uh, many things going on. Uh, you don't yeah, realise how much work you do. Head questions over to us at carlscornerqa at gmail.com. Once again, links for everything in the description. And yeah, let's let's kick it off, I guess. Let's get into it. Well, oddly enough, you mentioned the, the side channel, something I have an idea for. Um, there's something I did on the channel a couple of years ago, back when it was just me and Brad, mm-hmm. and we needed content for Christmas because we didn't, we physically couldn't record enough to get uh, like three weeks worth of Christmas content out. And then we looked at the analytics of the previous, the first year, I should say, that we did the channel. It's like, oh, I, Christmas is just, it's abysmal in terms of views. Like, and it's one of those yeah. cruel ironies of YouTube where we can't not upload something because mm-hmm. it's effectively a death sentence for the channel in regards to your analytics and your traction. But if we do upload something, we're effectively sending that content to die. And that's so, why we generally make a lot of like different and shorter content and stuff that isn't quite on brand with fact yes. being as much over Christmas, because just generally speaking, as you say, you're just sending it out to die and get no views anyway. But you have to send you have to put something out there. Otherwise YouTube of- gets mad and slaps you on the wrist. Yeah. <laughs> So one of the things I did a couple of years ago is I recorded a commentary track for the film Robocop, one of my favorite films of all time. And we spent years fighting with, um, I believe... MGM, was it? Ryan. It's MGM, yes, who now owns the Robocop brand and license. Mm-hmm. Years with them, because we use literally five seconds at the start of the film so people can sync up the commentary track with their own copy of the film at home. Mm-hmm. And just periodically have to take that down, re-upload it, um, private it, unlist it, challenge the uh, thing... Um, from MGM um, it'll get approved a couple of weeks later we'll get another one because it just gets flagged by the robot again and like that's a shame because I've always wanted to do movie commentary tracks because one of the things um, I've done because this is it goes um, uh, quite well with that concept I mentioned um, a few minutes ago of doing not realising how much stuff you've actually done yeah uh, a few years ago, there was going to be something similar for today I found out. I'm sure they won't mind me talking about this. It's just an idea that, that I was paid for. I researched, but it never went anywhere. And it was researching the living fuck out of individual movies. So uh, you know, like, okay. those, like, you always get like, uh, like Watch Mojo and stuff doing like top 10 things you didn't know about insert movie. And they always, you can look at it 
And here's a pro tip for anyone who watches content like that. Go to IMDb. Every single thing they mention will be from the IMDb trivia page. Normally, it's like one thing I didn't know and nine things I did. Because you, like myself, are interested in movie trivia, so you'll either watch the director's commentaries or go to the IMDb trivia page. Yeah, um, so it's just the, the most cursory knowledge that you can find on that stuff that takes almost no research. And the worst part about those IMDb trivia pages is a lot of them just make stuff up or they're misinformed or they're not exactly correct. So... Davin, the, the guy who runs Today I Found Out, is like, well, I want to create some, but Today I Found Out has a reputation for exceptionally high levels of research. And I can speak personally as being one of the people who researched for them, wrote for them. Like mm-hmm. The amount of like, mo- like effort you've got to put into researching the sources for them is incredible. And yeah. Davin himself would frequently come in and like do additional research on his own because he's very like myself in that regard. Of You'd have you provide like two or three links and then he'd go out and find like another three or four. Right. to like back them up and add even more stuff in and me what reading through his edits made me an even better researcher i feel because i'd like um, see what he'd do and go wow i don't even know that why did he find it okay check his source okay that's a place i never thought to look let's do that mm-hmm. and anyway so, so i have like a bunch of them that never went anywhere there are these scripts for movie um, reviews that are effectively commentary tracks that were going to be like edited down to like 20 30 minutes and i was like okay but we never had an outlet for that on the channel because it immediately copyright struck and it was mm-hmm. too long because long-form content does not do well on YouTube, even though it does, and YouTube sometimes changes my Oh, hour-long videos do really well, but then also do shorts, though. Yeah, it's that weird middle ground now with YouTube, right? Uh, in, you know, what, the early 2022, it seems to be at that point where you either do a short, you make, like, maybe an... Uh, what like an eight nine minute video because you get the double ads on or you make mm-hmm. an hour and a half video essay and then you only make those things yeah you can never you, you've only got to make those one and a half two and a half hour youtube like things or it, make you've got to commit yeah and that's one of the frustrating things like being a creative like i wanted to do those commentaries that was really fun i really enjoyed doing that and it's something i've wanted to do for years mm-hmm. now we've got a patreon i found an outlet for that because Oh cool! Like this, it doesn't matter whether or not this makes any money. Oh, it doesn't matter if it gets copyright struck; it's going to a channel that does not have ads run against it, so that shouldn't be an issue. So we don't, that, we won't have to worry about MGM coming in and taking stuff or Fox or Disney or what have you. Yeah, and part of that might be like an answer to a question that many people have given us so far about the Untitled Side Channel: of Well, if it's funded by Patreon, why don't you just try and get paid as much as possible and advertise? and monetize your channel as well and do sponsorships and stuff it's because then we can't have that creative freedom and we've got to worry about all of the copyright problems again we've yeah, stopped running into the same problems that we did with some different fact fiend ideas yeah one of the things on fact fiend that was so frustrating is we had to start making video shots one, a question we always got is like, why have you taken all the clips out and it's because there's a chance we could lose all of the money for a video that takes upwards of a day to research write edit and record mm-hmm. and because we put in one five second clip and it's just not worth it but if it's for the side channel where it's not like monetized who gives a fuck yeah we can put those silly little clips in as i like, think the worst thing that can happen is that a company monetizes on our behalf and puts an ad on it anyway which we don't mind mm-hmm. which is like you know what if that's the price we've got to pay i guess so and obviously i'm sure it, it, people understand that well, if you're telling us that you wouldn't mind us advertising and monetizing every single video, one occasional video being monetized and having an ad on it is not going to be too bad, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and hopefully we can still avoid that, but yeah. We'll try, but it means we don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. It won't be and the end of the world. 
So if people click on the Patreon, um, when this video goes out, there is a poll in there for the next movie I'm going to research and record a commentary track for. I've decided I'm going to stick to a theme. So this time it's going to be sci-fi. So we okay. have The Thing, Alien, and Predator. Three of my favorite movies about aliens. And uh, I'll be recording a commentary track for whichever one of those wins in a couple of weeks. And mm -hmm. then next month, I'll do another one. I'm thinking like maybe action. Maybe I'll do like some action movies that I mentioned on the channel. And just maybe once a month, just put something out there. And this is going to be on top of the uh, scheduled content I have per week to go yeah. out. It's going to be an extra bonus thing that I want to do. And I feel energized um, uh, to uh, go, like, go out there and finish and complete. Which is a great feeling to have as a creative. To like, just be like, oh man, I want to do this thing. And now I've got an outlet for it and I don't have to worry about losing money or what have you. I can just go research the fuck out of one of my favourite movies, watch it, record a commentary track full of all these interesting tidbits and put them out there for people who are like-minded. And it's really funny because like it is so refreshing and the gates have opened for us so quickly that you you almost get like moments of I don't know if you do anyway, but I, I've been getting moments of like choice paralysis now. Like one hundred percent, yes. Like that first week where we decided on the side channel you probably mm -hmm. saw um, because you could see access to the channel i uploaded like five different videos yeah because i had five and then i had to pace myself and realize if i go what this this is the way i got burned out last time mm -hmm. by doing like three or four things a day i'll focus on doing one thing per day and do it well yeah and that's what i've been doing for the last week or so no sorry the last couple of weeks mm -hmm. and it's just one of those of like it's, it's amazing to do but then that moment where you're like oh shit i've got i've, I've got too many ideas and now like i find it really focus uh, really hard to refocus back on one idea and mm -hmm. i've i've because it's the idea that i've had for the longest and carl knows i've been talking about it for years and trying it out every now and then but like doing the um the arcanine video that came out recently on the channel of like why pokemon are terrifying yes and you know that's a series that i've already got a few videos made and like i will continue to to double down on because it's something I've wanted to do for a while but every other option in my head i'm like well, i've got 10 other things i want to make and i can't decide which one to to focus in on yeah and i will say um if you ever do an episode on a bug pokemon i would like to uh, be the one who does the voice for that because bug pokemon are my favorite well i i don't mind you if um i could always like research and write it and then get you in as like a guest voice yeah like i did for you the other day for a piece of content that people will see soon hell yeah but um That's the idea. It's yeah it's just one of those with those pokemon things is because i don't want to be like oh well um drowsy is terrifying because the pokedex entry says it eats nightmares or eats dreams it's like Which well is, this is something i want to speak to you about well, because i saw your um uh, video on that and i was looking at some of the feedback to it mm -hmm. and is that something that frustrates you because um, this is something that you are probably one of the most knowledgeable people knowledgeable people i know about this specific topic this is something you have mm. an, an in-depth knowledge on born from like two decades now of yeah. being a fan of this series and delving into the nitty-gritty mm -hmm. and this is something i've had to deal with frequently uh, just doing stuff for fact but in specific regards to pokemon do you get frustrated when people just regurgitate facts quote unquote that they read online about um, pokemon I don't. I don't mind when people are like regurgitating facts. I think the little no, I bit. That... I should clarify what I mean by. I mean the things that they heard online that they take to be fact because mm -hmm. somebody else said them. Yeah, it's so... it's not that part that gets to me. The part that gets to me is that I, have, you know, my 
my fucking YouTube channel ha- and Twitch channel have le- like Kanto in the name. Like I am mm-hmm. putting my Pokemon fandom to the forefront of my brand, and people are like. I don't know if you've ever heard that Gengar's pretty scary. <laughs> like, uh, that's another thing I wanted to ask you about as well. Like I'm this like, thing of it's your idea that you've had in your head for ten years, and people like who've seen thirty seconds of it, are like, but did you want like here's an idea for you? I bet you never thought of this, even though you spent the last five years on and off thinking about this exact thing. Yeah, and I've I've had a little like since I've got those comments, I've had a I uh, again an idea. I've like instead of some of those videos being like, you know, oh, why Gengar is terrifying. Try and find a way to see if Gengar isn't actually very scary to try and flip it on its head. And you know what that is right there? That is the fact fiend coming in because that's the exact thought process I have towards fact fiend mm-hmm. when I write an article. Of I will approach those. So when I say like well-known facts, I mean stuff that people just glean from those like watch mojo videos I mentioned, where it's just mm-hmm. the most surface level stuff that doesn't actually have any research put into it. It's just stuff that everybody quote unquote knows. Or things like today I learned, which is usually just a one sentence summary of a fact that is not really that um, informative and in a lot of cases is outright wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so an example that I like to use is the, uh, the World War II soldier Jack Churchill, who is a figure on whom I have seen written about uh, on every single fact website I've written for, and I've written for pretty much all of them. Okay, At yeah. least first top tens, cracks, and all of the derivatives and uh, rip-offs that exist. I've written for them all, and I've seen mm-hmm. that they always mention Jack Churchill. And the fact that's always mentioned about Mr. Jack Churchill is um, he fought in World War II with a longbow and a claymore. Oh, that guy, great, yeah. And that's okay. the fact everyone knows about him. As I said, everyone knows this fact because they've seen it mentioned on other websites and they've seen that today I learned one sentence summary about Jack Churchill, the World War II soldier who fought with a longbow and a claymore. And I and, think the reason I've seen it is because I've seen it in comments of like other history videos on Fact Fiend, like you should talk about this guy. Yeah, and the thing is, I went ahead and I wrote a Fact Fiend article about him. We've not done it yet. And I researched it, and it turns out, no, he didn't fight with a World War II. He didn't fight in World War II with a longbow. He carried one because it was like a family heirloom or something like that. He never mm. actually used it. So he, he, he had one, but he never fought with it. He never fought with one. No, he used it during training. Hmm. There was like a picture of him supposedly storming the beach of Normandy, and it's a training exercise. People say, "Oh, he's the storm the beach of Normandy with a claymore." It's like, no, that's literal missing. That's literal rewriting of history. Yeah. And I researched and found out stuff that was lesser known about the guy, such as the fact that after the war, um, he would get a train home every single day, and would throw his briefcase out the window every okay. day. And it turns out that he lived along the train tracks and would just time it so he's like briefcase landed in his own back garden. <laughs> And that's the thing. That's a shot prob- and a half. And the thing is, that's probably not as interesting as the thing, but that's something I've literally never seen anybody else mention about this guy because they always say, did you know he fought in World War II with a claymore and a longbow? Mm-hmm. So I wrote an article debunking that aspect of it and then tell- talking about facts that people maybe don't know about him because all they cons- the only media they've consumed talking about him is these super surface level things that only care about this one salient piece of information. Exactly, yeah. And for anyone that doesn't... Um know like the details of my arcanine video it's like i talked about the fact that pokemon the pokedex mentions that it can travel 6200 miles in a day so then i'm like okay let's break down that what speed is it going at how hard would that mean it hit you if it was running into you Mm -hmm. and then some of the comments are like oh yeah but also remember it can breathe fire (laughs) 
It's like, I'm we like, all know that. Yeah, but I'm... It's like, that's, that's the obvious bit. I'm trying to make something that's a bit more interesting than Pokemon is scary because Wolf can breathe fire. Yeah. It's just uh, it's so funny. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that I have to deal with. Because you've seen it when you're editing stuff, when we talk about superheroes or what have you. We'll mention like something really obscure, and then there'll be some... I can't think of any examples off the top of it, but you know this has happened a lot of. Why didn't you mention obvious thing everybody knows? It's like, because everybody knows it, and it wouldn't be interesting. Yeah, it's we always try to avoid the... Uh, like, as you say, the most obvious things... Because guess what? You've already watched 20 other YouTube videos that talked about the most obvious thing and we're trying our best to just be creative and be a bit different. Yeah. And you can't help that because it's one of, it's it's I've fallen into that trap before. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, and I think the best way to sum it up is that amazing, I don't know if it's an Onion headline, it might be like a hard drive article of um, uh, guy has to bite his tongue watching Lord of the Rings when that scene of Aragorn kicking the orc Did helmet comes up. Did you know that he broke his tongue? <laughs> it's like, yes. <laughs> That's the one that I think something like, everyone's fallen into that trap and there are some things that are interesting, but they're so well known, they basically become part of pop culture. Like You're not surprising anyone by telling them about it. And if anything, you're detracting by talking about it because when you're watching that movie, it's so well known at this point that you're going to get begrudged moans more than you're going to get, oh, that's interesting. You're going to get that thing of people going, oh, yeah. Or you'll get the the one, you know, where I just did of like people just going, oh, yeah, I know that too, where he broke his stuff, yeah. And it's like it's so well known that it becomes uninteresting all over again. It's that thing as well, like, do you want to talk about the actual making of that scene about how that came about. Well, I don't know how it came about. I don't know what happened. I just know that that's a thing that did happen. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, uh, uh, okay. So that's the so end it, of the conversation then, I guess. Yeah, th- it's not a conversation. It's you talking at me for mm-hmm. 30 seconds and cool. And yeah, and I just... I like the idea of doing the movie commentary tracks, not to just shout a fact about a movie out, but to like, you know, have a discussion about it and... You know, like we did with when we had that fact fiend video about the filming of the Spider Man scene. Yes. Of like a discussion about how it came about and all the extra details about it. And similarly, one of the things that I did with the Robocop one is some of the facts are pretty well known, but mm. I also delve into like some of the thematic um, uh, stuff behind the movie that interests me, like, uh, like the Catholicism um, uh, parallels between Robocop and like Jesus. No, like, no, no, the... that, that movie's just about a robo-cop. That's it. There's... No, that's, that's one of the things I mention of, like... No it subtext. Was, it's written off as a silly, dumb movie, and it's called mm-hmm. Robocop, but, like, there's a lot of parallels because the character of Alex Murphy is Catholic, and one of the reasons that he's able to become Robocop is Catholicism abhors the idea of suicide, mm-hmm. and something they mention briefly in, like, extra universe material is just, yeah, because Alex Murphy doesn't want to commit suicide, that allows him to come to terms with being a robot, and it's that fascinating sci-fi concept of... Like it opens up a wider discussion about okay, is this morally right to put someone's brain inside a machine against their will and force them into servitude? Because didn't you say like that he wasn't the first one or something, and other ones like other people had seen themselves as like robots and killed themselves or something? He's the first one, but in RoboCop two they try and do it again, and it's quite right. meta. Yeah. Okay. Is RoboCop two because it's called RoboCop two? It's clearly trying to ape the success of the first one 
And the plotline is they're trying to make a second Robocop called Robocop 2. But they don't understand what made the first Robocop work, so it keeps failing. <laughs> and that's like super fucking meta. And they have a line in it where, um, oh yeah, like I think one of the Robocops they make just immediately commits suicide. It blows yeah. its own head off with a gun and they can't understand. Why do they keep killing themselves? And they mention, well, Alex Murphy is a religious man. And that's an interesting concept. It's a one-line thing, but it opens up a wider discussion, which is one of the things I love about media and film, yeah. of having those um, uh, those discussions about what the film is trying to tell you and what you take from it and how whether or not those meshes are effective and, uh, and all I that think good stuff. That, like, I've not really um, watched much Robocop stuff, so like, I've not seen Robocop 2, but I like the idea that instead of the movie being made without the understanding of what made the first one successful it's almost like a pre-meta commentary by accident of like yes. so many movies getting sequels that didn't understand that what made the first one great yes they just want to replicate it and in a wider sense when it comes to hollywood just aping something that's popular without realizing why it was popular something we can no doubt talk about in a minute based on what you mentioned before we started recording. <laughs> and you just told me like, no, 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 yeah. this well, is a podcast cover. We've always had to go back to the Pokemon thing. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, this is one of those things where like, talking about facts becoming facts, despite not really having any backing is in regards to Pokemon and their Pokedex entries. Lucas, what's your least favorite response to when this is discussed? Like when you start mentioning Pokedex entries. Um, well, you shouldn't pay attention to a Pokedex entry, Carl, because they're all canonically written by 10-year-olds. Okay, so do you want to break that down and why it's not accurate? Uh, well, first of all, that's never once mentioned in the canon. Yeah, so do you want to explain what we're talking about here with the Pokedex entries? Because I'll bring a few up now. Right? Yeah, I'll just go get, um, I'll get a couple so of Pokemon entries. Basically, over time, it's become like a lot of fan-like theories and just fans' headcanons that the Pokedex entries are so outlandishly strange and terrifying yes. that the only way to explain that is that the player character, who the is child. a child, is the one documenting facts about the Pokemon. So when, you know, they're like, oh my god, Arcanine runs 6,200 miles in a day, it's just that the kid goes, oh, Arcanine runs real fast, and writes that down as it was fact. And it's one of those things where it's a pretty decent headcanon. It's a headcanon that I'm inclined to believe, but I'm aware of the fact that it is, as you mentioned, never being confirmed as being the case. Yes. Like So we have to treat the universe by its own rules. We have to talk about the universe using its own established rules. Mm-hmm. And the universe establishes that all these things are true. And if all these things true. are true, that's how we have to um, uh, uh, break down that universe by its own rules. But... Every single time we talk, I think we've talked about it multiple times in videos and like podcasts and streams and stuff. You always get that one person says, well, uh, they're all written by a 10-year-old, so you shouldn't take them seriously. I know that's something people made up to try and understand the rules of this universe that don't quite make sense. And it's such a widely known fan theory that now people are commenting on my, that Pokemon video. Going, it's canon that none of those Pokedex entries are actually real. Because it's like, a thing that they what? have heard. Mm-hmm. they've heard it so many times now that they believe that to be true even though that's not the case yeah and we've just got one here of one of my favorite little pokemon a slugma which is the the flame slug and we have a few pokedex entries here so we'll start with generation two gold it never sleeps it has to keep moving because if it stopped its magma body would cool and harden and that sounds like quite outlandish but there are many real world creatures that if they stop moving they die such as sharks mm-hmm. that 
that, we and move that on makes to, like, perfect sense because it's a Pokemon that's molten, is molten lava slug. So if it wasn't generating energy from moving anymore, it would make perfect sense for while it sleeps to harden because it's not getting that movement. One of the things I kind of like about um, uh, Pokemon is that usually the very first Pokedex entry will set the tone of the rest, and almost every single one follows in this trend of it like, yeah, it's if it stops moving, yes, it gets down. It's like, so Rubies and Sapphire's uh, description, Molten Magma courses through Slugma's circulatory system. If this Pokemon is chilled, the magma cools and hardens, its body turns brittle, and chunks fall off, reducing its size. Hmm, yeah. It's like, it never sleeps. It has to keep moving, because if it stopped moving, its magma body would cool and harden. That's heart gold again. And it's just, and that's one of those things. Oh, it does not carry blood in its body. Instead, intensely hot magma circulates throughout its body, and that's one way you'd probably get. Well, that's the fan theory. It has to have blood. Like mm. It's a ten-year-old writing it, you know, because it just—it's really hot. And it's like, no, this is a magical universe where these creatures exist. Yep. And this is the in-universe explanation for how this creature's biology works. We have to accept that because there's no other um, explanation. For it. The, the Pokedex is the only thing that we have to go off information-wise, yeah. yeah. It's the closest thing we have to an in-universe Bible telling us how the biology of these creatures work. And for the most part, they are incredibly consistent. It's one yeah. thing I'll say about yeah. the Pokemon series. They're very, very consistent in the portrayals. Of, like, cause, um, you could probably speak more to this than I do, but like, isn't there like just an entire department of like the Pokemon company who maintain a like canon of throughout the card games, the anime, and the uh, mainline releases? I think something along those lines, yeah, they have people in charge to make sure that just everything fits within one canon and one universe because if the game's saying one thing and the manga's doing another thing and the um, you know games are doing another thing and the card games are saying another thing, it, none of it becomes a congruent universe. And I know, for example, that the manga, Pokemon Adventures generally has a darker tone to it mm-hmm. but it's still consistent within the abilities the and the rules and of that universe rules established yeah and then the one like macargo which is what um, slugma evolves into this is one that's often held up as like, well, it's obvious that this is a child making it up um, so the description from sapphire macargo's body temperature is approximately eighteen thousand degrees fahrenheit water is vaporized on contact if this pokemon is caught in the rain raindrops instantly turn to steam and that's that thing of like, well, that's hotter than the surface of the sun. It's like, well, it's hotter than the surface of the sun in our universe. Yes. We don't know what the temperature of the sun is in the Pokemon universe. And this is a universe where these creatures, like, creatures can create fire from nothing. It's just as believable that this Pokemon happens to have an, a body temperature of 18,000 degrees. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of just the idea behind my entire video in the first place is like, well, that treat sounds it. terrifying to us, so let's treat that as real and... Break down what it means. Break down what that would mean and break down why that means, like, Pokemon is terrifying. And whether whether or not you want to think of it as, like, oh, what would Pokemon be like in our world? It's like it's hard not to think of it that way because mm-hmm. that's but the only reference point we have. But you have to treat it as if, like, the universe exists and has these established rules and that these Pokemon mm-hmm. exist within them and the framework that's established. But yeah, that's one that I know personally and privately annoys you of every time you do this. Well, they're not real anyway. It's like, but they are. That's a fan theory that you think is fact because you've never actually bothered to do the research. And you're there doing the research and then getting called out by people who've not done the research. And what's that like, Lucas? Um, It's like, it is a little bit frustrating, but, you know... I guess I've only got a couple of videos to like 
have experienced this with, but at, at the moment, at least, I find it generally easy to just brush off and be like, ah, oh, whatever. It'll, it'll happen, though. That's, well, that's the thing is, that's why I make it very important to say, well, for now, while I've got feedback of a couple of videos and a couple of comments like that, it's not too bad, but amplify that and I might not have the same answer. Yeah. Like you times it by about like 10, 15 I, and then I think for the, five years. The thing with making that Pokemon series is just, okay, but wouldn't it be more fun if the Pokedex entries were real? Also, that's we've never had any confirmation that they're not. Yeah, so that's the thing it, is, in canon, those Pokedex entries are 100% true. And even if they weren't, isn't it a more fun thought experiment to think about what would happen if a like slug can reach 18,000 Fahrenheit? Yeah, it's that thing of it's uh, being more accurate to the source material to treat it as if they are, but it's uh, like people are insisting on their own... Um, view on it mm-hmm. being um, uh, the only one that's acceptable except it's never been confirmed by Pokemon and then we're probably talking too much about Pokemon here <laughs> but I, I do appreciate that that thing of like oh yeah like, you, I think it's happened with uh, Brad and Nisha as well like editing like you've done the facts bar and stuff mm-hmm. like that they've started to notice it as well of like but we did the research why is people correcting us on stuff that we've researched when they haven't it's like mm-hmm. that's that's what I've been dealing with for over 10 years now welcome to the internet Welcome to the internet. Keyboard warriors are always correct, Carl. I, I will... I, I still... Like, we need to credit Charlie for this, because it's one of the things where... It was an offhand comment that he said, but it's it stuck with me. And I need to give him props for it, which is the... Um, he summed up the internet as, the internet is asking a rhetorical question and getting a serious answer. Yeah. That's the... And I, that stuck with me, because that's so fucking on point. That, like, cut me to the soul. <laughs> of just ask a rhetorical question, get a serious answer. I went, that's the internet summed up. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. It's like Cunningham's law just um, distilled. And I've, had, I've literally experienced that sometimes on social media where I've just put out a tweet that I've ended up having to delete because I started getting comments treating it as if it wasn't a, a rhetorical joke. question or sarcasm or a joke. And I've just been like, I can't even be bothered. I'm just going to remove the fucking tweet. Is that You can't even joke about something like that. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of... Like, do you have any like, examples like that? Because they are generally quite funny when stuff like that. So I've had a few um, from memory that were quite funny. Because I had one recently. Because um, I, you know, I mentioned that I'm going to do a commentary track for a film. Mm-hmm. I posted that on uh, Twitter saying, oh yeah, if you go to the Patreon, you can vote on my next movie or a movie that I'm going to do a commentary track for. Um, uh, looking forward to doing it. Hope everyone has fun. Cheers for uh, everyone who's like, you know, followed and donated money so far. Mm-hmm. And just within like 30 seconds, got a comment, do the thing. It's... You didn't even get to the end of the sentence before mm. you commented. <laughs> it's just... You couldn't even read. It's only 240 characters as well. You couldn't even get to the end oh. of that. Do you have any examples that's happened to you? Well, one that... Um, you know, I I thought was so obvious that it was a joke. Okay, let's go. That I you you'd think it would never go over someone's head, but this, was again, this back, is the internet. Like, you know, a year and a half ago when the, there was talks about like should kids get free lunches over Christmas? Yes, and I just tweeted out, "Why wouldn't you want children to starve for Christmas?" 
As a piss take. As a piss take. And I got like two comments immediately. Like, you're a fucking horrible human being. Of course, children should get... And I was like, I'm deleting it. Just, nope. Well, I think one that's happened to us a couple times is uh, we can delve into just a little behind-the-scenes lore on Fact Fiend here, which is uh, now we have a desk. Fact Fiend Video's had a desk for about a year now, and that was just born of I did a a one-off video with um, uh, another YouTuber that never went anywhere, and Mm. for that I need to be sat down. And I said, I'm not fucking moving the desk back, so I was recording on my own at the time. <laughs> so I just kept it where it was. And one of the jokes that I thought would be funny is to uh, just have something on the desk, like a knick-knack. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, usually it's like or a book. I think we've got like Z-Rex, that stupid book we covered in one podcast. And just like silly little yes, things yeah. like that. that are, people are going to look at and go, why does he have that on his desk? And it's just, it's thing, it draws the eye as like a bit of visual distinction to our channel. It's, and it's a fun little thing of like each video to find something to put on the desk that's going to... Um, uh, make people question like what is that why did he have that and mm-hmm. one that happened recently not recently a few months ago now but is you were in the office eating cereal weren't you Lucas I was yeah and what cereal were you eating if you remember uh, shreddies was it you were eating a box of shreddies yes and just because you had a box of cereal and it's and again it's a weird thing to have just on your desk and we never mention it, so it's just like some out-of-context strange object that people are yeah. like, oh, why is that there? Yeah, why has Carl got a box of cereal on his desk? And we never mm. talk about it, we never mention it, and that's why it's a running gag that I kind of like. Same thing of like um, having a coffee cup with like Hello Kitty on it, mm-hmm. or the one that says like Carl loves penis <laughs> on it, which is like another mug that I have. And uh, it just so happens that Shreddies are made by Nestle, so... And do you remember what happened when we uploaded that video of, like, every other comment? Just being like, oh, my God, I can't believe that you would support Nestle, like, you awful human beings. And this is... I, I consider it, like, a derivative of the thing we were talking about earlier. Like, this is a thing that people, quote-unquote, know. And they mm. know they should be mad at seeing Nestle because Nestle is an awful, terrible company. But it is, not, don't get us wrong, yeah. Yeah, it's an awful, shitty company, but they're not directing their energy in the right way. And I think my girlfriend summed it up best where I showed her that. I'm like, look, we had some cereal on the desk and now we're getting death threats. And she just went and looked at me and went, what are you supposed to eat? <laughs> like she just looked at me and just said straight up, what are you supposed to eat? Because this is a company, it's an evil company, but they own fucking everything. And you are one person. What are you actually supposed to eat? And then there's also the 30 other food companies that people don't know are as bad because it hasn't or, been as widely publicised. Or are owned by Nestle in a or roundabout set. by Nestle and they do don't put the Nestle brand on it yeah. so that they can get away a, with that. A concept known as slacktivism, which I think is an amazing term. And that is when people, it's just activism, but it's done in the laziest, most um, uh, surface level way possible. And it's largely considered to be less effective than doing nothing because all it does is weaken the position of people with an actual point. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that people use uh, to diminish uh, actual social and political activism because they can point to these silly examples like, look, they're yelling at a YouTuber on his cereal on his desk. They clearly don't have a point. And it's like... um, similar to those like you know those frivolous lawsuits that people always hold up of like the hot coffee one is the famous one of um, like the lady who burned herself with coffee and it got frames like she sued mcdonald's because her coffee was too hot and it ignores the context there of well actually the coffee was served at like basically next to boiling which was above the legally mandated limit you could have coffee at and she got the, third the coffee burns. was literally too hot it was scalding but it was framed and it was framed in the most um unfair manner possible 
and then dilute her to be a single word, like a single sentence um, mm-hmm. a tidbit that people just repeated, repeated, repeated until it became fact, ignoring all the context. And it's like that thing, like we've got cereal on our desk. Yes, Nestle is an evil company, but you're ignoring the wider context of we are two people. The fuck are we supposed to eat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's to the point where like, I, I bought some water for the office. It's like, cause we had that, event and I was like oh I'll buy some bottles of water and I looked at it and I go to oh, fucking hell it's Nestle water we have to take oh, the labels yeah. off it because if we have it we're just going to get the same thing and that's the thing is I'd argue that Fact Fiend has done more to you know hurt Nestle than most people already have done because you made a popular video about how Nestle is a bad corporation yeah I've been a few videos like that but it's that thing of um there's a very poignant quote that gets more and more relevant with every passing day, and that is, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. Exactly. I, by merely existing within the framework of capitalism, you are actively disenfranchising somebody out there. It's mm-hmm. just the nature of things, and it is a depressingly, uh, just cripplingly, uh, just unfun way of looking at the world. It's one of those things that it drives many people insane. And well, so most, um... most people don't try thinking about it. Similar, you know, you see a lot of the time of like, oh, never buy anything from Amazon. It's like, well, half the things that I order online, either I can't get delivered unless I pay like, uh, you know, either I buy more products from them. I can't buy one singular product that's like, you know, a tenner. I have to get a basket price of £50 before I get delivery or Mm -hmm. the delivery's exorbitant and slow it's like, well, it's not really on me to make sure that a company I buy from is, you know, treating their employees with respect. It's like, I literally can't get this anywhere else or I have to pay five times the amount of money. What what realistically am I meant to do? There's also that thing as well of um, the reason it's called slacktivism is because you're putting the minimum amount of effort in. It's like, you complain, you're doing it to make yourself feel better, whereas you're actually not helping make any realistic real world change you're just complaining mm-hmm. at someone who can't really like really do anything about it and it's that funny thing of, like you look at something like those comments of like oh we've got a nestle on your desk you're supporting nestle you're awful it's like well you're posting that presumably from a phone mm-hmm. made by a company who is no doubt um, got business in china and yep. onto google one of the world's biggest multi-billion dollar conglomerates who have ties to like every single facet of um, the corporate world Mm-hmm. and then you're doing it on like youtube itself which is also like you know another at least one of the arms of this multi-billion dollar corporation that actively like you know suppresses um uh, and disenfranchises minority groups and it's just like th- there's no right answer and like your energy your thought is good but your, your energy has been directed in the wrong place it's been directed at a plate realistically something you should be pointing it somewhere else but that's too difficult because then you have to think about it it's much exactly. easier to just yell into the void yeah it's just one of those very strange things of like yeah okay well done you made that you know one observation of the day that you can go home and make yourself feel a little bit better about yourself for but realistically you've done absolutely nothing Apart from tell somebody they shouldn't support one shitty company while you're Which we also know. supporting many shitty companies throughout your is day, that, every day. Is that thing like, we know, but like, as I go and said, what are you supposed to eat? Mm-hmm. Realistically, what are you actually supposed to do?
Discord knew we were chatting shit. Yeah, I mean, our, capital- our capitalist overlords just heard we were talking shit and Carl's PC got annihilated. Yeah, and do you know my favourite thing about um, uh, when PCs crash now? It's just, you get that little blue screen, it's like, whoopsie doopsie, something fucked up. <laughs> and you don't get told what it is that went wrong, it's just, oh, it crashed. Something went wrong, Carl. That's, that's so the question. That's the uh, answer. Well, you know what, like, moving swiftly on from the crushing reality in which we live every day, mm-hmm. and the fact that we'll never escape the icy, like, death-like grip of capitalism. Of course. As it continues to, like, you now just slowly press its boot heel into the throats <laughs> of freedom. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> That's such a depressing descriptor. Uh, I think it's funny, though, because I will clarify, I have got death threats for having no cereal on that desk. I think that sums it up. Mm-hmm. People have threatened like to kill me or say that I should die in like horrific agony because not even me, Lucas, bought some cereal from Nestle. <laughs> I'm glad that you're taking the brunt of that for me. Thanks, Scott. And is, and is that thing as well of, like, if that, your energy, like, that energy is useful and it's good. Like, you should be thinking, like, yeah, you know what, death to the system um, which has allowed this, but maybe don't direct it at just innocent bystanders on front. Like maybe like aim a little higher. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe the, maybe the executives at Nestle mm-hmm. who make the decisions that actually cause all that suffering and pain, not the person buying cereal to live. Just a little pro tip for anyone out there who wants to um, uh, spearhead the revolution when it happens. But oh, Lucas, something that you mentioned that you did, speaking of like, you know, um, just technology fucking up. You had no internet recently, right? Well, no. Uh, PlayStation services went down. That was it. Last so night. So you couldn't, yeah. you could not access um, any PlayStation services, such as streaming services. Yeah, I uh, no access to like YouTube or Netflix or anything like that. So what did you do? What, what did you do with like your rare evening away from the world of streaming services? Well, I Xbox? I was going to bed and was like, I normally just put something on TV to like you know have background noise, mm-hmm. um, and just. I was like, well, what's going to send me to sleep? Well, of course, Batman versus Superman will. Oh, yes. Which version of Batman versus Superman? Oh, the extended cut, Carl. The extended cut? Really? Okay, let's go bring that up. Because I'm not sure what the changes are in the extended cut. So let's let's find out what they are, shall we? Yeah, because I I haven't watched the movie enough to remember what bits are are added and what bits are just the normal cut. I'm going to find out. I've got a list here, yeah. So uh, first things first, like... None of us really have, and by us I mean the entirety of the factory channel. Nisha's largely indifferent because she doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, me and you actively dislike the DC Extended Universe, and Brad fucking hates it. Um, and to clarify, like I don't necessarily hate all of the modern DC movies. Just the stuff that Snyder had a hand in. But the, the Snyder stuff and the, the original Suicide Squad... I, mm-hmm. I have a lot of issues with. They're not exactly triumphant movies in my eyes. No. But yeah, I uh, I don't dislike all of the DC stuff, and I've still got to watch like, the new Batman movie and stuff. But yeah, like not the all new of new DC is bad, but all of Basically, it isn't great it's either. It's anything Snyder had a hand in or anything directly inspired by his work, which does include the uh, initial Suicide Squad movie, mm-hmm. because that was hamstrung by the fact it had to fit with the tone of the universe he established, which is just awful. Yeah, because they had like the Batman from that movie in the Suicide Squad and stuff, so they had to be quite cohesive with one another. And saying there's any sort of cohesion in those universes is great. I use that word very loosely. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
yeah um but yeah like i just you know i was like i haven't watched this in a while and i don't particularly want something that i'm going to awfully care about watching and not something i pay too much attention to mm-hmm. um it's just generally when i when i go to sleep it's like if i don't have some like noise going on in the background then i just start overthinking things and don't sleep very well yeah but yeah uh, uh it was a movie it and a certainly movie is a movie yes i got i got convinced to go and buy the like blu-ray extended cut because buy snyder fans yeah some snyder fans that i knew in real life like some of my friends that enjoy those movies told me that well you might not have enjoyed the version in the cinema but the extended cut fixes all the problems and it's not it completely solves the entire movie and makes it excellent and it's not it's um it's just more self-indulgent nonsense from Zack snyder and i have like a yeah. list of some of the things that I changed here and just reading through some of them it's like it makes it so much worse. Mm-hmm. So uh, one change here is that there's Clark. Uh, numerous scenes are added uh, for Clark Kent to help paint a picture of his life in the film better. You know, something they probably should have put in the original cut, but whatever. And it says, giving more insight into his state of mind. Aside from witnessing the testimony of Ziri, as we mentioned earlier, Superman is shown traveling to Gotham City directly to get a better understanding of what people there think of Batman. Keep in mind, this is the first movie in which they meet and they cut out scenes of him actually learning about what the fuck Batman is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He says that. He talks to the citizens of an apartment complex and learns that the average person's fear, average people fear Batman. And he's seen as something of a grizzled monster. An old man tells Kent not to be out after dark should he encounter the Batman and face his wrath. I mean, not. I mean. Just already, like, we know. So Batman, in almost every iteration, he does beat people up. Yeah. But he beats criminals up. And for the most part, in almost every iteration of Batman, the ordinary person on the street likes Batman. Yeah, because generally speaking, criminals become scared to go out at night and then the public is therefore safer out at night. And you can talk about how that's really not a great lesson there because that's like an imperial piece where it's like peace at the tip of a sword of like, do as I say or I'll beat you up. Mm-hmm. That's not really the best lesson there. And a few comics do um, delve into like what that ultimately means. Mm-hmm. Um, Snyder's version of the movie does not because no, isn't it so badass that Batman beats everybody up to the point where regular people are living in fear, not of crime, but of Batman. Of Batman himself. Which yeah. is the exact opposite of what Batman is trying to achieve, where people on the street are scared of him more than they are of criminals. And maybe the old guy is right in the sense that Superman should be scared of the Batman. In that but he's not world. going out there as he's going out there as Clark Kent, a journalist. But, oh, right, yeah, of course. He goes as Clark Kent, doesn't he? Not yeah. as Superman, yeah. And it says he has a, a scene where he encounters the wife and young son of a criminal who Batman had branded with the bat symbol. And it talks, and for people who don't know, Batman brands people with a bat symbol in that movie. And it turns out, yeah, that guy got beaten to death in prison. And Superman's talking to his wife and son of like, oh, so Superman's killing. And that's the thing, that would have been a great lesson, if not for the fact Superman leveled an entire city in the previous movie. That's the thing, is the weird part to me is that. So the first movie, Man of Steel, it sets Clark Kent and slash Superman up as a man that you know, destroys all of Metropolis. And then this movie starts with Bruce Wayne being in that city, 
like witnessing near, the destruction. You know, um, Wayne Industries and witnessing the destruction, which is terrifying from a um, you know a regular person's perspective. And I think they do a pretty good job in that scene of showing how terrifying that fight was to the people on the streets. Yeah, and it's that thing. It just it's again. I, I keep singling out Snyder here, but he's the reason because he's like the linchpin that held this universe together. And it's mm-hmm. he was reportedly behind the scenes, just incredibly bullheaded when it came to the inter- his interpretations of the characters and when people tried to argue against them. And you can see the point that's trying to be made here of Superman. Oh no, Batman's killing people. That's wrong. We should never kill people. Um, uh, you know, just for being criminals. There's always a better way. But then in the movie that we just saw, Superman, he, the only way he solves the problem is by killing the person. Well, so he's, he kills bystanders, many, many bystanders, and then also actively kills the bad guy. Which solves the problem. Mm-hmm. So his whole argument of like, Batman, you can't just kill people to solve your problems. Like, well, you did, and it worked. So that lesson is like, not only is it muddied, it doesn't, it actively does not make sense. And you can see the point that's trying to be made, but it makes both characters hypocrites because then you've got Batman arguing, no one person should have that power as he drives around in a tank running people over. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you've got all this power. Should somebody check you? No, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm worthy of this power. I earned it myself. It's like, well, so did Superman. And between watching Batman vs Superman and like remembering about, you know, Man of Steel... It's weird to me that in Justice League you're setting up either of the, those two as good guys because there's Neither two movies good, yeah. being set up where essentially they are both evil people that just manage to stop other world-ending threats. That's all they've done. Like they're essentially the lesser of two evils in the, both of those movies. Yes, and. and- you can see, and that's one of the problems that I have with the universe, because I think we talked about it in that video we made about it, where it's, it's so many people are insistent that there is a deeper meaning to these movies, and something we were privately laughing about after we released that video shitting on the Snyderverse is the amount of feedback we got of you just don't understand. Even though mm. we break down every scene and show that we all have a very clear understanding of media, and we all have a very high level of media literacy and can fully understand the message being imparted in the scenes, and then explaining why they don't work, and just people like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> you I don't know. understand the granny's peach tea scene. It's like, well, I do. He, he pissed in a jar before he killed her yeah. to prove that he can do what he wants. Because she says, like, don't piss in a jar and call it granny's peach tea, and then he does exactly that to prove a point. Mm-hmm. And we understand why that scene's there, which this is the comment we actually got breaking that now, because we've established in the Batman vs. Superman movie, Lex Luthor um, pisses in a jar of labels it granny's peach tea after a senator tells him don't piss in a jar and call it granny's peach tea and then he blows up the senate mm-hmm. and we understand why he does that he's doing it to prove a point but the problem is that's not something Lex Luthor would do because Lex Luthor is supposed to be a criminal super genius mm-hmm. and the idea of a criminal super genius whipping it out and pissing in a jar or because there's a lot of piss in that jar when you look at it like getting someone else to piss in a jar yeah, yeah. and then labeling it and it's like, but we were taught like we had numerous comments that you don't understand the meaning of it. So we understand it; it just doesn't make sense. And then as well, when his plan all comes together, it, Superman decides that it's worth going to like potentially kill Bruce Wayne 
in order to save his mum. A decision that, admittedly, like, you know, he, he does try to reason with Bruce, but you see, like, the the anger in his face of, like, well, I guess I'll bow down and listen to Lex Luthor and go and try and kill Batman if needs be. Which is another horrible message to impart that, um, oh, oh, the evil businessman is right and he's telling you what to do. Like, Superman should never be in a situation where he's, like, working for somebody else. Like, the whole point of Superman is that he's so moralistic uh, because it's imparted upon him that, like, you should just do good, strive to do good, truth, Mm -hmm. justice, and a better tomorrow. Um, That is what you should work towards. The idea of him doing anything for his own personal gain yeah. So in that, in like any he's other meant to be super media. altruistic, and instead he's like, no, I'm going to be really selfish and try to put my mum's life above Batman's. Well, above the life of all the people that he's threatening. Well, yeah, exactly. Also, the idea that Lex Luthor could threaten Superman. I mean, it's just a weird <laughs> thing where it's like, oh, where's your mum? He's like, well, I can hear like one of the things that Superman does in the comics is he memorizes the heartbeat of everyone that he knows and loves. Fucking hell. And he knows what his mum's heartbeat sounds like. He'd be there in one quarter of a second. Well, they set up at the start of the movie that he appears in a desert in the middle of nowhere. Because he knows Lois Lane's in trouble. The moment Lois Lane is in trouble. But for some reason, no, there's no excuse. They don't put her in like... A sealed silent room or a lead room that, or something. Like, even though putting her in a silent room would attract Superman's attention. And again, it doesn't make sense. We talked earlier about like, you know, he's like, you'll framework. never be able to find your mum in the next hour. Why not? Like, I'm fucking Superman. The the rules the universe establish. I it's breaking its own rules of like well, earlier in the movie, Superman finds Lois Lane in the middle of nowhere in like one quarter of a second, but he can't find his mum. So, and then any it's and any every breakdown I've seen of that is stuff that's not explained in the movie, but it's people trying to explain it after the fact, which mm-hmm. we also talked about. Well, no, she was in like a soundproof lead room. I mean, you're telling me Superman wouldn't notice there's one part of Gotham that he can't see and go investigate that. And also, there's like literally a giant, like giant glass window right behind them. Yeah, that bl- gets blown out by the explosion later. So he he, he could hear what's going on in that room. He could see like, what's going on in that room because there's uh, literally a window right there. It's like no, but like the the guy would have pulled the he would have pulled the trigger and shot his mum. Say like, really, this is a guy who in the previous movie fought Zod. Well, also um, the Lois Lane scene, she's held gun to her head, yeah, and he's and so he's still... fast that the guy can't react to pull the trigger. And it's like the... those t- two scenes at the start and the end were realistically those should have ended in the exact same way, but for. Plot reasons, just Superman suddenly can't find or save his mum. And it should be, like, if it was really Lex Luthor, there should have been some wildly convoluted plan specifically targeted against Superman's power set, which is what he does in the comics. Like, he always comes up with something. That's the reason he's like, he is Superman's equal, not because of his strength, but because of his intelligence, and he can outsmart the world's most powerful man. And that's he doesn't. Some... He just puts her in a room and puts a guy with a gun next to her head. It's like something we've already seen Superman deal with a dozen times. Mm-hmm. So one thing I appreciate about the Bruce Wayne fight, and obviously it's taken a lot of inspiration from the Dark Knight Returns fight, um, but it's just, well, Batman leads him to a location and then, you know, seemingly, even though he doesn't really have much info about Superman and how he acts and would fight in this universe, but anyway, yep. um, he, he kind of knows, like, oh, I can attack him with sound, I can attack him with kryptonite. 
even though um, he doesn't know what Superman's weaknesses are. And the reason that fight works in The Dark Knight Returns is because it's set like 30 years after Batman has retired and him and Superman have been friends for decades. And he's already had contingency plans put in place for all of the Justice League for years. And that's one of the things of like in the comics and other related media, Superman trusts Batman so much he gives him kryptonite and he mm-hmm. explains what his weaknesses are in case he goes rogue and Batman uses them against him. But meanwhile, this is just a Batman that all he knows is that he's an alien that could murder everyone and therefore he hates him. Yeah. And then you have like, it's obviously drawing parallels from The Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. And in The Dark Knight Returns, like Superman is like basically doing hit work for the government. And that's something that like, you know, it happens after years and years and years of Superman's like um, altruism being worn away. And he gets like slowly won over by like the president. And then, and then Superman that... fights when he's already in a pre-weakened state as well. Yeah. And Batman doesn't actually beat him. He gets one lucky hit. And they mm-hmm. have a great speech at the end where Batman's like, doesn't matter how strong you are. Doesn't matter how much you accomplish. You will always remember that I could have beaten you. And he talks about how like I could have, um, uh, I didn't have to go easy on you, Clark. I could have mixed like the formula for the kryptonite in a, in a stronger sense. I could have used a better binding agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you'll have to live with that for the rest of your life, knowing that I could. And it's the thing of like, it's what he does to keep Superman in check. Of, I could have beaten you, but I didn't. Yeah, so my PC just crashed now, so that is made this all editing a lot, uh, a lot more of a ball eight than it should normally need to be. But oh well, I'm sure we'll figure it, it out. It's symbolic of the two villains that the channel has, which is Snyder fanboys and uh, YouTube itself. Capitalism and Snyder fanboys are always coming for us. These tech and, problems, fucking. And up. I just went on like a a whole spiel about um, uh, that's how offensive it is that Snyder makes Superman a Jesus allegory, mm-hmm. despite Jesus' origins being undeniably quintessentially Jewish, and uh, just that's that's the problem that I think we've explained about the universe before. Is that just Snyder fundamentally misunderstands the characters that he's been tasked with realising and bringing to life. But every time you mention something like that, you always get one of these weirdo fanboys saying, well, actually, no, you don't understand what he's trying to say. It's like, I do, that's the problem. It's, I think all that you need to see, really, is the fact that Batman just runs around openly using guns. Yeah, which I think I mentioned in the video we did deconstructing it, and I talk about how that is a... The costume he's wearing is directly referenced by The Dark Knight Returns, which we talked about, where Batman grabs a gun and snaps it in half and says, these are the tools of our enemy, the tools of cowards. We do not use them or something to that effect. And then they have Batman in that costume in Snyder's version using a gun. Even though he references that comic to the point where he literally did shots frame for frame on purpose to like, you know, try and give reverence to that great comic book. And he still somehow... Gave Batman guns. Yeah, he still missed the point, which I think is it's so damning of his inability to read media where it doesn't matter if you have the character with a speech bubble literally saying out loud, I do not use guns. In Snyder's head, it's like, but he uses guns though. So it would be uh, one thing if you forgave him, like, oh, well, maybe he hasn't read that comic of Batman's. It's the one he's referencing. Yeah, which shows, again, it's the weakness of his, like, just... Um, just directing style where he's all visual where he he's happy to borrow the visuals but he does not understand not even the subtext it's the text the literal text the text it's it's as clear as a black and white on the page and he can't understand it 
But when you mention stuff like it's like you always get his fans saying, you just don't get what he was trying to prove. It's like, there is no point he's trying to make. It's so muddled. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, like, I think there's some decent action in that movie if you don't think too much about it. But, but that's the thing. You should be thinking about this because superheroes are... Uh, they are the modern... Uh, like, like, they are the, the biggest thing in pop culture right now. And they, for the most part, like they inform a lot of people's values. Like mm-hmm. media informs a lot of people that we talked about on the last week's podcast and superheroes, like they have like, I don't say like a, a, a responsibility in a sense, like a moral one to mm-hmm. at least try and distill good values. Like um, Superman, like uh, you, um, I mentioned his, his motto, truth, justice, and a better tomorrow, which was recently changed from truth, justice, and the American way. Um, because DC realized that the American way is quite nationalistic. Mm-hmm. And it's also as well not reflective of Superman's values, which I stands for everybody, not just America. And I love that idea of truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. That's I think what that's a, a much better, like, reformed phrasing, yeah. Yeah, and it fits with one of my favourite uh, monikers of Superman, which is the man of tomorrow, which is what he represents. He represents the best of humanity, what humanity can achieve mm-hmm. if they are able to move past their petty foibles and be as altruistic as they possibly can. Yeah, and it's not meant to be a literal in a literal sense of like we can have frost he, breath and fire lays out of our eyes. It's like the, the morals behind the character that he stands for, which are completely lost when you look at Snyder's version because it's mm-hmm. just as I said, action is the only thing he cares about. It's the visuals, and I will point out as well, just in terms of the action, like did he really need to put the death of Superman in there and cram it in when it's shown seconds before? that Wonder Woman is physically enjoying the challenge of fighting Doomsday and Clark could have just lobbed that kryptonite spear to her. Yeah. You know, the person who's fought with every kind of weapon on the planet. Yeah. It's and like again, she gets knocked to... back by Doomsday, smiles, grabs her weapons and like chops his arm off and then Superman's like, nah, I must sacrifice myself. And again, that's another like Jesus allegory of him sacrificing himself with the spear. Mm-hmm. And, it's like, uh, for the good, not for the only good of humanity. To, to do like a... Lex Luthor plot to get Dark Knight Returns Batman versus Superman fight in there. You also had to get Doomsday and Death of Superman in there. It's like, oh my god! Like, and Death of Superman was like the most impactful comics ever released. People don't know Death of Superman quite fittingly and understandably it is about the death of Superman. Mm-hmm. And the story behind it is is that writers for DC were getting to the end of their rope. Like, they couldn't figure out a way to make Superman stories interesting because then we just Every threat he has, he just beats it up. Yeah. There's no conceivable way we can ever make Superman comics feel like there's conflict or danger because Superman's invincible. Mm-hmm. And the story goes that one writer just said, half-jokingly, why don't we just kill him? <laughs> and that made them think about, well, yeah, why don't we kill Superman? And then explore what a world would be like without Superman, mm-hmm. without this moral figure, like, you know, this, this figurehead of like, you know, the Justice League who stands for everything humanity wants to achieve and superman's killed by doomsday and in the wake of his death they had a bunch of super interesting stuff like they try to replace superman Mm. and you have like reign of the supermen you have people trying to live up to the mantle that superman um uh, had and then also misunderstanding his ideals and using them to their own ends like this is what superman would have wanted and justifying um, their actions by saying it's what Superman would have wanted then Superman comes back like no it's not you misunderstood what I stood for <laughs> and that's the kind of thing that would be the perfect thing for Zack Snyder to have covered <laughs> of, 
of just misunderstanding in, like, inherently what Superman is. Like, he should have done Reign of the Superman. And they shouldn't, he shouldn't have tackled Superman. His Superman should be like Metalo or one of the other, like, rip-off Supermen who don't understand what Superman is and justify um, violence and killing criminals by saying it's what Superman would do. And then you could have <laughs> Superman come in at the end and go, no, it's fucking not. And um, that those are the, you know, comic books that DC-wise, like, you know, I generally find a little more interesting is, like, can we examine what would happen in X scenario where, like, you know, Flashpoint, where it's, like, a different alternate timeline or like a red sun as well and which they're also going um, to like the, the flashpoint one is also getting done but we're never in yeah. flash movie but we are and getting that, michael keaton batman which i'm interested by but that flash movie uh, so do you know the story behind this this is like it is an absolute clusterfuck uh, i know that there's been so many problems with ezra miller about like wanting more creative control and stuff yes and then also just randomly attacking people in hotel rooms which is a weird thing, but effectively, because yeah. um, this is one of the things I, because it's fairly, I think no one's really going to disagree that DC have been playing catch up with Marvel. They've been trying to ape everything they've done. Well, I mean, it's, failing. it's pretty obvious when they made Justice League after three films rather than yeah. the six that it took Marvel. And you can see the literal catch up that they are playing, yes. Yeah, and uh, that's a, we mentioned it, so it's a pretty surface level observation, so we won't go too much into that. But mm-hmm. Flashpoint could have usurped Marvel because Flashpoint, if people don't use the comics, wait, they're Flash because he can run through time. He can, like, you, know, you can introduce time traveling, universe traveling shenanigans with him. It's going to be a movie where like, the Flash accidentally breaks time and you get a bunch of different Batman and Supermen coming in. They could and have. A bunch of Flashes, I think, as well, yeah. like in they this could, version. Yeah. And then it's. I think the rumor is they're going to use that to reset the universe because it's a mess and they're going to reset it and just say, okay, start from again. But, it wouldn't uh, they surprise could, me, yeah. They could have just pipped Marvel at the post because that's what Doctor Strange is going to be. Multiverse of Madness. Like That's going to be like a resetting of the status quo. I think it's uh, pretty obvious from the setup to that of like, oh yeah, we're traveling through the multiverse. It's like, okay, this is how they're going to like get rid of all these old characters and introduce a bunch of new ones. And this then is going also, to be like the, but then it's also going to be leaning into like the new phase, which is clearly they've set up like they we don't know anything about it, but Ant Man's called like Quantumania, and then yeah. they've introduced in Loki like um, the multiverse, uh, uh, the multiverse and stuff, and, and we won't get into more then, if people are much. But yeah, there's there's clearly a bunch of different focuses going towards like multiversal different things, and that's how you do it. You have like six different things all setting it up, mm-hmm. but. DC could have beaten Marvel to that post if that Flash movie ever got made. And that's well, in addition to resetting the status quo, you can also lean in on the nostalgia because there's no nostalgia for the DC universe. But there is nostalgia for DC properties and those like, you know, earlier actors who played like Batman and Superman and like, you know, the cartoons and all that stuff. So they could have... I mean, obviously there is nostalgia with a certain subsect of people, but yeah, there's way more nostalgia for Michael Keaton, Batman coming back. Like Lois and Clark. Um, uh, that show, like, you know, the Flash like the Flash TV show universe, or the Arrowverse, I think it's called. There's a bunch of stuff they could, and then you could get the room for, like, a whole bunch of cameos and, like, little nods and winks to other Marvel properties. Like DC have done with um, uh, the Flash TV show, where mm. they, like, brought in um, Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, for a cameo as Batman in an alternate universe. Oh, And it's, right. and it's okay. weird that the TV show has done that concept better and realised that Okay, comics are inherently silly, but because they are, 
you can do so much stuff with it and the audience is willing to just accept it. Mm-hmm. As m- many the- problems as those TV shows all have from like the CW Arrowverse, they do also yeah have highlights like that. And they, they understand that because comics are a, a sillier medium, a, a heightened version of reality, the audience is willing to accept stuff that you wouldn't normally accept in another movie. Mm-hmm. And like, as Marvel have established and have shown quite well, like if you build a good grounding... So their grounding was like Iron Man, like mm-hmm. very like not realistic, but it's like it's believable, like very grounded in established stuff we could understand, like military technology, and just like you know, it's a little bit heightened for what could realistically be achieved. Yeah, the, the Man- you know that movie is just what if there was a person that was smart enough to make this armor, and then the next movie it's oh yeah, and then back in the day there was a. You know, Captain America, he was running around, and there's like you have a hint of something like otherworldly with like the Tesseract, but you don't really get a glimpse of what it is. And then Thor comes in, and it's like, okay, so we're now hinting I at other worlds. Yeah, I think it was Thor first, and then like Thor first, then Thor. the Hulk. Don't forget the Hulk. Well, the Hulk's technically part of that universe. Where it- technically, I believe the order is like Iron Man, Hulk, Thor, Iron Man 2, Captain America, Avengers. Yeah. So I think like the thing about the Hulk is that it happens at the same time Iron Man One is the same, the exact same time. Yeah, it happens within two weeks of each other or something silly like that. But then you have just all those things you establish like you know real people but wider concepts. And then as mm-hmm. like you know then you have the Avengers world-ending threat. Then they scaled it back down again for like you know just individual stories like you've got um, uh, interpersonal conflicts with Iron Man in Iron Man Two, then Iron Man Three where it's like you know just exploring Tony Stark's psychosis and like you know you reference the previous stuff in the movie, but you bring it back down to like establish the character and show that like, you know the the it's human all about him struggling with having to go into space and fight this interplanetary threat and going through yeah. like, the weird cosmic portal and stuff yeah which once again grounds the universe and makes it like you know more easily relatable for an audience of like you can't relate to a guy going to space and firing a nuclear missile at a million aliens but you can see and, and empathize with just the weight that would have on someone's mind mm mm-hmm. mhm and then they slowly start ramping up again. They bring in the Guardians of the Galaxy, Cosmic Marvel. They start bringing that in. But because, and I think, I remember when Marvel first, or Guardians of the Galaxy first got announced, and the amount of articles I saw of the next Marvel movie stars a talking tree, or sorry, a tree that speaks three words and a raccoon. And I remember just reading that and going, sick. Yeah, because like, Marvel I didn't audio, know much about Guardians either at that time. A few other people than, did. Uh, I knew of Rocket Raccoon because of Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom 3. But then you look at that and you go, yeah, okay, I'll buy this because they've earned my trust by doing this and they've slowly built up and started like, they drop those 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 hints about mm-hmm. there being a wider universe which can be explored. And by now, like now they can do fucking anything. Like they're having movies where, oh yeah, we're going to travel through the multiverse and bring in fucking everybody. We're going to have like, like Infinity War fight scenes with 50 superheroes in it. Yeah. And you're going to look at it and go, yeah, that makes sense. It's like sick. This all paid off in the end, yeah. That makes sense. And DC just, they didn't want to do it. And as well, obviously, um, a lot of the, I'm sure a lot of, you know, like the corporate ideas behind it were that, well, we need to catch up because if we're five years down the line and only doing the equivalent of Avengers while they're on Avengers 3, we're going to look inferior. Yeah, and you can see a lot of that in the creation of a DC universe. And there's a lot of like, I think I describe it just as desperate more than anything. Mm -hmm. Like how desperate it was like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy just mentioned that um, when that f- movie came out and just speaking to people not understanding what makes something tick 
Um, there were leaked internal documents from Warner Bros where they messaged the people making Suicide Squad and said, put more jokes in it. Mm. It's like, Guardians of the Galaxy uses a lot of pop music. Can we do that too? And that's why Suicide Squad is full of pop music. And because they... As well, when Guardians came out, they made a Guardians-esque trailer for Suicide Squad. Then, because that got a good reception, didn't they get that team to re-edit the movie? They got a trailer company to edit the movie, yes. And they also sent a, a, I think it was a one-line piece of advice to the director saying, add more jokes. Because they asked him, oh, uh, because you know that joke with like, uh, I forget what it is now, the Captain Boomerang one or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like where he's walk, like, I think there's a couple of jokes in that initial trailer and it turns out they were the only funny parts of the movie. And that's mm-hmm. what the trailer company put in. And they sent a memo like, add more jokes. Because people want jokes now because that's what Guardians of the Galaxy did. And rather than do their own thing, they were aping someone else's success and it, as a result had a muddled, horrible mess of a movie that just like, didn't please anybody. And I would definitely say that, you know, that whole random Aya cut thing is like, that movie was not going to be good no matter how you cut it. It's just... It would have been more consistent with the original vision. It's it a bad vision, been. but it would have been more consistent. And yeah. that's the thing with, like, I think the consensus about the Snyder Cut, because um, I've seen it, and the only thing I'll say is, like, it's fine. It's better, it's more... but it's not hard to be better than what that Justice League movie yeah. was. And the reason that Justice League movie was bad is because it was two conflicting visions being uh, with completely different outcomes and audiences mm-hmm. and at least Snyder's vision is consistent with his original Snyder's vision is consistent with his vision but it's a poor vision I think mm-hmm. it's I don't like his take on the characters but I can at least understand that it's more consistent with what he wanted to do and as a result it feels it like feels like one a, movie yeah it feels like one movie or instead two of two movies, different I guess because it's four hours long mm-hmm. but um, it's as well like just watching Batman vs Superman where you can tell how rushed they were because that movie, it sets up Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Doom, Wonder Woman. Uh, no, ba- sorry, Batman, Wonder Woman, I meant to say Wonder Woman, then mm-hmm. said Superman by accident, but uh, Doomsday, and then also has a Flash cameo, and then introduces the Flash, Aquaman, and Cyborg via video clips that are a minute long each, to yeah. then launch directly into... A Justice League movie starring all of those characters, like starring characters who've not even had less characters who've had less than a minute of screen time each. Mm-hmm. It also, um, people might not realize, it also uh, introduces Lex Luthor. It hints at the Joker. It has a dead shot in the extended cut. Fuck yeah! So it also, and it's the thing of like they, and that's what Marvel always does so well. Because if you watch a Marvel movie, they always have a, a hint for the next movie. They mm-hmm. don't have a hint for the next seven movies. I mean, ugh, unless you're fucking Age of Ultron. But that one movie, I think, gets away with it because it's setting up An entire phase, new phase three. So it's setting up each character's next steps. But it uh, admittedly feels a bit out of place and ham-fisted in Age of Ultron and that. Not to say to these learn. Marvel movies are perfect. Yeah, Would it surprise you to learn as well that a lot of those editions were fought against? Like the one of Thor going to the... Uh, I think oh, the pool the, of water, the pool where he's like, where, he, has, he has a oh, vision. I'm going to see was all added. the Infinity Stones. Yeah, that feels. Yeah, that was added after the fact. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't even meant to be in the movie, and like the director actually fought against putting it in. And uh, yeah, it's just it's a shame because I would like that mul- that Flash multiverse movie could have been good if not for the fact it now hinges on just a horrible person 
um, that person being Ezra Miller. And you alluded to the fact earlier, part of the reason the movie is terrible and has been in development hell for years is because Ezra Miller kept insisting upon having more creative control. And they kept rewriting scripts and insisting that um, story beats be changed on a whim Mm -hmm. and forcing them to do reshoots and adding new things. And DC just, they, they need their Kevin Feige. They need that man in a baseball cap to be like, this is what's happening. <laughs> this is what we fucking, in a baseball cap. Yeah, this is what we're fucking doing. This is what we've set out. We've mm-hmm. got 10 years worth of storylines here. This is what we're going to achieve. Because this is, it's very, I guess, poignant that this is the DC, what happened to the DC movies. Because it's what over recent, you know, the past 20 years has basically happened in the comic books of like, but shit immediately got so convoluted and all over the place. Let's reset the universe. Again, and, and they've reset it like twice. I think because they reset it with New 52, but then we've also had like Rebirth as well. I, like, I'm not massively up on the comic, so I might not be 100% with my DC comic knowledge of like yeah. modern stuff, but I know there's been like two pretty sizable reboots. Because they keep like trying to tell new stories and then writers get sick of it because there's the mandates from DC have been really... Like, understandably protective of their characters, but that's hamstringing writers who want to tell interesting stories using them. But it's, it's like, just, no, you need to make Batman Batman. It's like, we want to tell a difference. No, Batman has to be this. It's like, for fuck's sake. We've had, like, 12 years of DC movies since Man of Steel, and we've got, like, the Snyder stuff, which, you know, what, I guess includes Suicide Squad because that's in one universe. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the Suicide Squad. Then there's the Batman. Uh, then there's the... Which is its own universe, is which there, is like the Elseworlds. Is the Harley Quinn, like Birds of the, Prey movie, is that a separate universe? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. It's part of both, mm. depending on who you ask. And then... And the fabulous man. Um, I even I forgot that movie came out. Like Shazam and as well. And it's like... Do you know what I hate about that Harley Quinn movie? It does such a fucking disservice to every other character in there. And it's like, it's the it's villain's It's the equivalent. Harley Quinn movie when it was Birds of Prey. Yeah, and the but fact they the renamed it film. The yeah. Fabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn rather than Birds of Prey, like shitting all over their own established characters. And it's like, I thought oh, it was the other way around. I thought they simplified it and just called it Birds of Prey. Maybe. Either because way. They, I think they launched it and it was like called like that really convoluted long name starring Harley Quinn. And they thought people like Harley Quinn, they'll go see it. And it's like, just fucking call it Birds of Prey. Can you imagine yeah. like, if they released the Avengers and it was just called like Tony Stark and his friends? To be fair. Like how dismissive that would feel though to the yeah, other characters. No, I, now, yeah, I exactly. But I, I, st- I still think after, you know, Marvel, if they, you know, turned around and the next Avengers was like Spider-Man takes his friends on a day out, I think I'd still go see it. I would be. And you know why? Because I'm attached to those characters. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked fr- like frequently on the podcast and in videos and stuff like we don't like the idea of the big CGI battle at the end of all the TV shows. Oh, God, it pisses me I, off. So I just want them to be conversations because, like, Marvel have earned enough credit to just, okay, we're going to do, like, a show where it's a superhero just going about their day and they hire good enough actors and have good enough writing teams where I'll do, like, my favourite scenes are stuff like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm. Just Falcon and the Winter Soldier hanging out. I don't want to see him fight stuff. I've seen the fights in the movies. I like these characters. I want to see them interact. And that was obviously going to be a bit more of an action-based um show but i've forgotten all of the set pieces and the things that stick out to me are like the talks about you know like well are the um the is the peacekeepers was it yeah and the isaiah bradley stuff and 
the flag smashers that's it sorry uh like whether they were in the right or the wrong or the and the conversations with isaiah bradley and the like that scene that where they almost talk down the girl that's the leader of the flag smashers of like mm-hmm. he just goes in he's like look i've dealt with a lot of people that have got like ptsd and like um, a lot of mental problems after struggling through wars and tough times. Let me have a conversation with you. Yeah, and like that sounds character bringing it in, and it's going full circle from like his intro in Winter Soldier, where he leads yeah. a support group. And it's that thing of like solving problems with words, and like the morals of the character being the thing that are ultimately what are drawing you to that media. Like, I don't like the Falcon's a cool character. I like seeing like drop keep drop keep people off buildings. But Anthony Mackie is a very charismatic actor. He's got a lot of presence. Mm-hmm. I just want to see him talk to people in character as the Falcon because he's really good in it. It's like Captain America. Yeah. Like, I love those fight scenes, but just the idea, this man out of time, mm-hmm. this incredibly moralistic man who's like stands for like freedom and justice and stuff, just seeing him interact with a world which is like move past such simplistic binary ways of looking at things and, and, what think- the, com- and the conflict that arises from like that sort of setup. Yeah. And I was going to say as well, like, obviously we, we talked about one division previously of, like, we don't like... That that ended in CGI, and who... Just, oh, I want Catherine Hyde, like, just, like, hamming oh, it up. Yeah. So that's all I want. I just wanted her hamming it the fuck up. She was so good in that, and it's, like, the I think the everyone's favourite moment in the Agatha final all episode. Agatha, oh, look, like that fucking theme song, baby, let's go. <laughs> That was so but, good. I was going to say, like, the final episode, I think everyone's favourite moment was the Vision talking about the bow. Yeah, the ship of Theseus problem. That's the thing, again, just two characters talking. They didn't even need a fight. They just need to have a conversation. And that was a perfect moment. Um, thank you for reminding so, me. Yeah, ship of Theseus. Of like, and that was everyone's favourite moment, not the giant CGI battle. And it just, I wish they would lean into the strengths of just their characters sometimes and believe in their writing ability enough to not just end everything with big CGI moments. Like, to believe that their characters are, the characters alone are enough of a draw. But then again, you've got to get bums on seats. You you've do. got to get... It's like the thing with Snyder, isn't it, where he's good at directing action and that's what people are attracted to. So every time yeah, you ask yeah. his fans, what's your favourite part? I mean, where Superman punches the, the guy through the building. So fucking awesome. Superman just... Batman beats people up and runs them over in his car. It's like, well, what's your favourite part about the character? He's badass and doesn't, like, these things like Rorschach mm. when he directed, like, the Watchmen movie and you had Alan Moore, the creator of Rorschach, being like, you don't understand my character. Rorschach is a fucking monster in the show, like, the comics. And they made and him out to be the cool Batman-esque character. Obviously, there's, like, the owl guy, but the stereotypical, like, brooding Batman cool character, they made that Rorschach. And he's like, oh, look at me, beats everybody up and like saves the day he's a he's a horrible monster and yeah it's one of those of don't get me wrong the man can shoot some good action but it's, it's always so surface level and i wish he'd use a bit less slow <laughs> uh, but like we mentioned something something i do want to talk about though is um the guardians of the galaxy movies like cosmic marvel i love mm-hmm. cosmic marvel because i recently played that guardians of the galaxy game which I think you've also played, yes? Yeah, I'm, uh, I think I'm on like chapter 11 at the moment out of about 16. So I'm not going to like spoil anything for that um, that game, but that made me re-watch the movies. And speaking of how mm. good the characters are, I forgot Mantis is not in the first movie. Yeah, yeah. I love Mantis so much. Mm-hmm. That, like, the character of Mantis, like, I think like the actress, I think it's like Pom something or other, I don't 
quite I'll, get, she, I'll get up the name for you. But like, she is so fucking good. And yeah, she's introduced as the caretaker of Ego in the second movie. Yeah, yeah, and just like her interactions with everybody, and I think she's in the Guardians of the Galaxy game. Mm-hmm. And every time she's on screen, like this character's amazing. Yeah, like, I love this character of just like the just the blind optimism of like always calling Rocket Raccoon like little fuzzy. You're like, yeah, little fuzzy, let's go. <laughs> Uh, okay, the actress name, but I forgot she wasn't in the first one because in my head she's a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy and she has so many good moments. Yeah, yeah. Just like just little character establishing moments like the one like Hydrax. It's great. Or the fact that the actress constantly stands with her hands um, like a praying mantis. Uh oh no, I've not. I've not, I literally haven't noticed that. But um, the, the actress's name is. Pom Clementif, I want to say. Ah, there we are. Pom Clementif. Uh, I'm not like, 100% I, sure on the, the pronunciation of the last name, but I'll try. You know, just speaking of like, the strength of the characterization and how good the actors are, that I forgot she wasn't in the first movies in my head. She is just part of the Guardians of the Galaxy now. Yes, yeah. And, um, and I felt like her dynamic was so like just integral to being like, oh, I watched that first time. Like, when does Mantis show up? It's like, oh, oh, it's the second movie she turns up. Wow. It's really interesting playing the game as well because I think the game is doing the Marvel game correctly. Is like yes, it doesn't feel like with the Marvel's Avengers game where it felt like they were all you know rip off. We've got Avengers at home kind of vibes. It's, it's they feel like their own distinctive versions yeah. and they feel close but not close enough where you mistake them for one another and they feel yeah, like their own characters it's inspired by the uh, marvel movies but it's it's got enough of its own stuff to sound scientific and one aspect i wanted to talk to you about is star lord mm. not the character the band because something i never thought about until i played that game is the idea of star lord being a metalhead oh right yeah okay so right so do you want to like clarify what we're talking about here with star lord the band yeah, so this isn't a spoiler. This is like, you know, chapter one of the game. Um, the opening to the game, yes. It is. And the opening to the game is like Peter Quill being a, I presume, like maybe about 13 years old just before. Yeah. Um, he gets abducted and goes to space and whatnot. He is listening to a new album from his favorite band, Star-Lord. And that explains where he gets his name from. And Star-Lord and- are a, a super... Like, just 80s-style heavy metal band. Yeah, very, you know, Metallica-esque, I'd say. Like, yeah, like Iron Maiden, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and he uh, has their album, he, he's, he's listening to it. And he's paging through, like, all of the the different songs, and he's got, like, the sleeve for the album, searching through it all, and narrating he's got, it. Like, the, he's got the patch of, like, Style or the band on his back of his jacket, and that's how mm-hmm. he gets his name, because he loves the band. And I was thinking, like... That makes so much more sense than him being obsessed with 80s music because, like, Guardians of the Galaxy now is defined by those 80s songs. And we did a video before about how they specifically pick songs that aren't the most well known ones today, but yes. would have been popular at the time to mm-hmm. establish that Star Lord is a man out of time. Like, he's not just listening to the greatest hits of the 80s, he's listening to stuff that would have been on the radio when he was a kid. Yeah, because the entire premise in those movies is these are the cassettes that his mum recorded of her favourite songs. And they're the things that keep him like tethered to Earth. Mm. But when I started playing that game and I saw that Star-Lord is a metalhead, I was like, that makes so much more sense than him being obsessed <laughs> with random songs. Because as a 13-year-old kid, that was me. 
Mm. When I first heard like my dad's Iron Maiden albums and stuff like that, and I just got really into like heavy metal and that kind of music, and that like you know my personality was formed around that because mm-hmm. that's what happens when you're 13. When that makes so much more sense, and that made me really <laughs> annoyed that that's not a thing in the actual movies because I was thinking like, yeah, him being a metalhead is such a good idea, and that would have made those fight scenes edgier, admittedly. But mm-hmm. I just think. It's weird that he's obsessed with songs that a kid wouldn't like. A kid wouldn't like those songs. A kid would want to like, you know, form their own personality and would probably latch onto one genre of music. And it'd probably be music that's considered like part of the counterculture, because that's how like, you know, people form their opinions. Like, you know, I'm sure all of our parents listen to like the Rolling Stones and stuff back in the day. Because you, See, you yeah, music like, is a way of rebelling. I kinda get that, but as somebody whose parents normally didn't listen to or at least not around us as children like normally if there was something playing in the house it would be you know a compilation album so it would be here's you know a bunch of hits from like you know there might be like queen or dave bowie or um you know random stuff like that so it was always i never really fell into that liking of a certain genre until i was a bit of a later teenager and started listening to my own stuff but you've got to remember, though, like, those things were considered quite radical back at the time. Like, Queen and stuff was a very um, revolutionary band. Oh, yeah, and then, of like, course, yeah. Form the formation of hard rock. But I grew up in the like, 90s, so, like, obviously my timeline would be a bit different to Star-Lord. But I can kind of see how Star-Lord would just like the greatest hits of when he was growing up. Yeah, it's just that thing of when I see that. And one of the things about the game that kind of threw me off is that um, there's a mechanic about playing songs from his cassette plates, like Rile Up Your Teammates. And a lot of those songs are like hits from the 80s, but none of them are inspired. Like there's only a couple of heavy metal tracks in there. Like, but the character's established as being like super into heavy metal. Like the whole, his whole identity, Star-Lord, is based on his one album that he's obsessed with. Why isn't the rest of his soundtrack also more heavy metal? Why, and they, I know why it is. It's because they want to put hits from the 80s in to be reminiscent of the movie. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely where the the movie overlap is felt the strongest is in the soundtrack. But it's like they have, like for example, I'm "Never Gonna Give You Up" by um, Rick Astley in there. And it's like I don't think a thirteen year old metalhead would listen to "Never Gonna Give You Up" mm-hmm. because he was thirteen year old, and at thirteen years old, we were all dismissive of pop pop music, weren't we? It was like, oh, that's crap. But you at the same to the... time, would anybody playing this game? get hype in a fight when it's the fictional metal band Star-Lord starts playing I fucking one of their did. songs. Like, mate, I've been listening to Zero to Hero all week. That song is so fucking good. Wait, the Hercules song? No, Zero to Hero is the name of the Star-Lord song. Like, oh, is it a Star-Lord song as well? Yeah, it's, right, like, okay, it's on Spotify. Yeah. Like, the album's on Spotify. Oh, cool. As part of a promotional thing, I was listening to it. Mm-hmm. Well, they could have put in like more metal tracks, and I thought that would have made it would have made that character feel a lot more distinct from his movie counterpart. I thought, okay, his identity is rooted in this subgenre of like eighties heavy metal. That's how, like, you know, he defined himself as a kid, and that's how he's um, kept his connection to Earth. And instead, like, it feels kind of weaker because it, he's got. It like, definitely does. I agree with you, but it it's one of those of here's how we can market the game to the people that like the movies. Yeah, like you want to listen to these You tracks. can feel just... that marketing decision coming in, yeah. And I feel the game would have been a lot stronger. And those moments would have been a lot stronger as well because while it is funny the first time I activated that power and Never Gonna Give You Up starts playing mm-hmm. through the headphones, it would I feel it still would have been a cooler moment if just like a hard rock started playing. 
Like just generic thumping eighties hard rock. That might just be personal. That is personal. Choice, though, yeah, like, that... I love my hard rock. Because mm-hmm. I agree with stuff. you, but I can also see how many people would disagree with that as well. Um, but I yeah, feel it's like I, I'm sorry. I was gonna say like I just I really enjoyed the game so far. Of I was surprised that I wasn't getting you know getting annoyed or frustrated with the fact that these weren't the MCU characters that I know. And obviously they, feel, they both pull inspiration from the same comic and the same character traits. They feel like characters in their own right. Mm-hmm. And like I'm really enjoying um, uh, just the interaction between the characters. Yeah, me too, yeah. And just the way they talk. And, like, the only thing I will say is just the in-game banter does get a little bit annoying after all. I think you mentioned something about, is it Aloy from Horizon where Aloy, if you yeah. try to solve a puzzle... And you wait like 10 seconds. Like, like, I better figure something out. That sounds like the Guardians. Quill, what are you doing? It's like, I'm trying to figure out the puzzle. And you get I'm trying co- to find the collectible that they've hidden down this other corridor. It's like, I, oh, we should really move this box. I'm like, oh. Every time you go walk off things to go get a collectible, it's like, what are you doing, Quill? It's like, I'm doing what the fuck I want. I'm Star-Lord. Shut up. And I think we are starting to reach that point where like, a lot of yeah. developers are noticing that yeah, maybe we should give our players a bit more time and a bit more trust. But I did really appreciate in the Guardians because I noticed in the menu after all, like, oh, you can just completely turn game hints off. Like yeah. you will, you can turn that chatter of them giving you puzzle solutions off completely, which I I really enjoyed. Yeah, and one of the things that just a little detail that I really enjoyed um, is like the uh, the in universe dossier is written in character for each character. Mm-hmm. You notice that. Yeah. Like um, all the different costumes you get are written in character. So if you get a costume for Drax, it's Drax, quote unquote, telling you the meaning behind the costume. Mm-hmm. Or if you get like a costume for Groot, it's like Rocket Raccoon translating what Groot says about the costume. And you get like, there's just like little hints to the character in there. Like you get the obviously costumes inspired by the movies. And they say like, oh yeah, Star-Lord wants to make a movie about her exploits. This is what he thought we'd wear if we did. <laughs> Personally, I don't see it, but he seems to think that's how it looked that look coolest i didn't um like uh quite as many outfits as i've hoped i would because like one of them is just oh it all were a really horrible bulky nova core outfit i did like those though because that they talk about them in the in the game description this was a mission where star lord thought we could disguise ourselves as nova core mm-hmm. how the fuck you describe groot as nova core what's going <laughs> they talk about how stupid it is it's like that little thing that you can see them all and like uh, Drax is a lot more upfront about how much he thought he was stupid but then um, Gamora is like it was a good idea but it didn't work yeah and I thought that was really good and I did like all like the uh, like the character interactions and stuff like that writing in the game is really good yeah it's super solid and yes yeah thank you Game Pass for like gave me it for free yeah not it. bad yeah it's one of those that really always sells to me. Oh, this is why I've got Game Pass. It's like yeah. this game that at the time there was a lot coming out and they didn't give a very good marketing push to Guardians at all, presumably because of the failings of the Avengers game and it being Square. But it must have cost so much fucking money. Just all that licensing. Mm-hmm. The yeah. licensing cost alone for that music must have been a lot. astronomical. And yeah, it just is great. I'm like, oh, well... I guess I'll just wait for it to come on sale, and then uh, next thing I know, it's like, well, I'm, I've got a couple of games to play, like Elden Ring and Pokemon, and then yeah, this is on Game Pass. Let's go check that out. 
And then, like, I just think that opening thing of just Star Lord putting his headset on and it's just heavy metal that immediately grabbed me. Mm. It's like Joe you know, when he stands up and you see him, it's like, oh, he's a metalhead. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a like that's such a neat deviation from the original thing. And then they kind of lean away from it, where every cool moment in the game is punctuated by like just generic song from the eighties that we've heard a hundred times before. So, oh. Yeah, okay, I see what you're doing, but... James Gunn's creeping in, like, hello. I, I kind of wish he'd snuck, just stuck to the uh, the original idea. It seems kind of weird when he's walking around, like, the patches on his jacket and stuff like that. Or maybe had a bit more of a mix. Uh, like, some influences of, like, his mum's favourite songs, but then a few also of his. some of his as well. And, like, they even introduce hair as saying that she used to love metal as well, because she, she's like, oh, um... Let Maybe me listen to watch. that new Star Lord album that you listened to, and then she starts rocking out. And he's like, "Didn't know you like this kind of music, Mum." She's like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Yeah, she talks about let's go to a Star Lord concert again. This is all happening in the first like five minutes of the game. Yeah, this is the literal opening of the game, and it kind of made me wish that there was an option to like select what songs will play. I really wish there was an option where it could be like, okay, pick which songs might play during some scenes. Like, pick what. Don't make your own playlist. Yeah, because you can so could, pick what song is playing on the ship, but you don't get control over it in missions. Yeah, and I would love if I could just pick all like the heavy metal songs and and I did really like all yeah again the like just the little interactions when you're on the ship and the conversations that you can go and optionally have with them. Oh, some of them were great, and just like some of the stuff that you find and think something you mentioned on Twitter that I didn't think about, but then thought about after you mentioned it. Is like, sometimes your teammates just don't want to talk to you. Yeah. And that's really refreshing where sometimes like, look, Quill, I don't want to fucking talk right now. It's like just one moment where like Gamora was upset after her mission and I go and talk to her and she's like, look, Quill, I need my own space. I Go away, please. He's like, oh, yeah, fair enough. Like they don't always want to actually have a conversation about what happened. Yeah, and like some of the little just establishing moments of like, I think like you go into Gamora's room and she's meditating. It's like get the fuck out. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, people probably wouldn't like you just walking in randomly to talk to them. <laughs> yeah. Or like sometimes Rocket gets in an argument with you and just locks his door. Like fuck off. Yeah, he don't want to talk to you. But then you go up to like the workbench to try and get some work done, and he comes out of his room and yells at you. He's like, for fuck's sake, Quill, come on! <laughs> and he always like if he doesn't want to talk to you, he will have a comment like. Oh, and you fucking dragged me out to come and do this work. And uh, and he's like, I wouldn't. Uh, the only reason I'm here is I don't trust you not to blow up the ship. Mm-hmm. Then you have like the argument of like, this is my ship, and he's like, no, it's not. It's my ship. It's like, well, who repairs it then, Quill? Well, you do. So it's my fucking ship in it. Yeah, he's like, you don't take any care of it, and I'm the one who constantly repairs it. I think it's my ship. And then Groot just being the best. Mm-hmm. Like, why is Groot just the fucking best? <laughs> he's so good. But I love Groot. Yeah. Steam just being tree man, walking around, doing his best. He is. And like his little costume, the details on his costume where like Rocket Raccoon builds a harness for him. Mm. And Groot's like, he doesn't, Groot doesn't like wearing clothes um, because that's what they made him wear when he was captured and put in prison. But he accepts it because I'm his friend. He doesn't want me to uh, um, uh, like walk around on the ground. Yeah, and I don't think it's, like, actually mentioned in the game. I think it's just, like, something that I half thought of in my head. It's like there's a moment where um, you, you find a translator and you go to, like, Rocket, oh, could we get this to translate Groot? And he kind of completely shrugs off the idea, like, no, no, no. And I think it's just, I don't think it's explicitly said in the game, but I think that's just that moment of Rocket being like, 
well, that's my special connection to Groot. I understand him. I don't want everyone else yeah. to. And they have like a thing later where it's like, oh, his language is long dead. He's the literal last of his kind. Mm-hmm. It's one of the rarest languages in the universe. And they do have a great comic where they establish like, it's usually played for a joke. In a lot of comics, like, I am Groot and Rocket understands him. Mm-hmm. And they have a moment in one comic where it's Rocket and Groot in prison. And okay. Rocket gets put in prison with Groot and it's like, I am Groot. And Rocket gets annoyed. And it's that thing of like, just like shows you like just flashes to like, you know, a couple of weeks, couple of months, like a year or so. Mm-hmm. And each time like group, um, Rocket starts to understand the, uh, like the idiosyncrasies of what he's saying and the separate intonations mm-hmm. and starts to understand the nuance of what he's saying. Yeah. And after a year of being locked in with him, he perfectly understands what groups try to say because he realizes that, okay, he has one, he has three words that he can say, but the way he says those three words. That's what matters. Yeah. And they have that like with Drax, don't they? Like, his species is entirely literal. Mm-hmm. And they have that's like a minor version of the thing with Groot of, um, uh, yeah, like, he doesn't speak the way that humans do. And it's difficult to understand for a human. But once you, if you understand that that's part of his culture, then you are able to communicate with him effectively. Yeah. No, it's just like really nice game. And just, I'd say I've not finished it, but I'm, I'm enjoying my time with it so far. Well, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm just... And I will recommend that um, uh, the Star Lord album. Oh, right, yeah. It's, like, it's just that thing. Oh, just that opening five minutes, like completely got me hooked. Because mm-hmm. that is that was me as a kid. That was me as a kid when I first <laughs> like got one of my like dad's Iron Maiden albums, and I put it on, and I'm like, "The fuck is this? It sounds like nothing I've ever heard before." I'm waiting to just come to Sheffield next, and you've got like a Star Lord badge on you. Yeah. Star Lord, it'd be great. I love it. And those interactions as well, where like people comment on it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh yeah, I'm the guy. Like, you know, I'm a hero. It's like, so why have you got your own name like sewed on your back? It's like, shut up though. It's and cool. there's one where they're like, are you Star Lord? He's like, no. Like, I'm pretty sure that says Star Lord on the back of your jacket. Though. He's, He's like, like, no, I'm not no. Star Lord at all. Oh yeah! If anyone yeah. didn't give that game a chance because they they got soured by the Avengers game, go check it out because it, it's yeah. it's been good. At the very least, go listen to that song because it's just it's the exact kind of just like edginess that I just it, it captures something um, <laughs> deep. Like, it just made me think back to my childhood. Like I said, of cause I had a Walkman back in the day. Mm. I had a knockoff one because we grew up on a council estate, and I had like my dad's old cassettes and albums and stuff, and just. I remember just walking around listening to Iron Maiden songs thinking I'm a badass. <laughs> and like, no one else listens to this. No one else understands this music but me. And this music's speaking to me and it's that thing of like, yeah, it's nice to have recaptured that energy and see it um, explored in a video game. Mm-hmm. And it really does show that music does have that power. It really does, yeah. It's something I greatly appreciate about those Guardians of the Galaxy movies of just the connection he has to the world is like music and he loves it so much. Mm. and I'm looking forward to what they do with that third one so it's Joe speaking like, to end on Joe speaking of like fan theories that people say are true mm. there was one of like oh the new guard, the next Guardians of the Galaxy mu- movie is going to have modern music on it because Peter Quill was on Earth and he got Tony Stark to upload some new music to him and that was going around like a fact and then James Gunn himself went no it's not uh, like <laughs> maybe if they upgrade him not not upgrade but obviously update him to like 90s or noughties that might work but if you go to what is popular music now that movie's going to feel super dated within years yeah. 
Uh, and like James Gunn himself is like, no, it's not. It's only music from his era. That's all he wants. There might be songs that he didn't listen to, but he still wants to listen to songs from when he was on Earth because that's his connection to Earth. Mm-hmm. But that thing of like just seeing people float around this like thing as fact and having the director himself be like, no, that's not it. That's not at all right. And then people correcting him on it of like, well, that's what I heard. So like, well, I'm writing the movie and it's not. You know what I can't wait for though? What's that? Not Guardians 3, but Guardians the Holiday Special. Oh, that'd be good. I'm just waiting for that Thor Love and Thunder. Because I'm waiting for that, like, speaking of, like, you know, just heavy metal and mm-hmm. um, the 80s, like, just it being inspired by just, like, um, uh, glam rock and stuff like that. So and 80s so metal fun. and stuff. If anything, if the logo is anything to go by, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be such a fun experience. But, yeah, Lucas, um, anything you'd like to plug? Oh, we did I mean, all our housekeeping at the start. We so did our housekeeping stuff now. We we were trying to be professional, I guess. Just like go and uh, check out my Twitch, twitch.tv slash Legend of Canto. And for myself, it's twitch.tv forward slash Carl S Wood. So that's K A R L S W O D. Oh yeah, at the end. And uh, yeah, cheers, everybody. 